This episode is brought to you by our free FlexGuide ebook. Give your application for flexible working the best chance of success with our nine easy steps to follow and information about your entitlements. Go to our website to www.thejuggle.com.au forward slash FlexGuide and download the guide now. My daughter had a doll's house and they had a mum and a dad and the baby and the, and the little car and they put the mummy in the car and they drove off and they went, bye darling, I'm off to work. <laughs> and they drove off with the mummy and left the daddy at home with the baby. And I just thought, yes, we're reversing so many years here of stereotyping. If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lilovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Joel Lilovich. And I'm Lucy Dickens. Welcome back to the Juggle Podcast. So we feel like, well, I feel like at least, that we might harp on about today's topic a fair bit, but it's for a good reason. So what are we talking about, Lucy? We are talking about flexible working, and you probably guessed from the title, but (laughs) we do talk about it a lot, but it really is a key to enabling us to manage the juggle, especially when we want to be able to still have our career and our family. We need to find a way to integrate those two things. We recently consulted and facilitated a workshop for RSM in Perth and we've invited Nadine from RSM to come and share some of what we learned with them during their workshop. Yeah, consulting with RSM was a really great experience. They are a very forward-thinking organisation, which is sometimes hard to find in the professional services space. It was wonderful to have such a mix of different people, senior people who you know, were really interested and wanted to see how they could make improvements and make workplace change for the better. And what's great about our interview with Nadine today is that not only is she going to share some of the really great things and the innovative things that they're doing there around uh, diversity, inclusion and flexible work, but she's also talking to us openly about some of the challenges they've faced, which is important because it's the piece of the conversation that often gets left unturned. It's the, I don't want to tell people about the difficulties because they might judge me or they might think that we're not doing things right or we could be doing things better. And so Nadine really is open in saying, well, these are the problems that we have around flexible working and this is what we're doing about Yeah, and it makes a difference for everyone else because so often, as you say, what we hear is, hey, we're wonderful, we've got this great policy and we're doing this initiative and we're doing that. But what you don't hear is what was the starting point and what was the change that was actually made as a result of those things. And how they got there. Yeah, and how they got there. So without further time spent just hearing from us, we will introduce Nadine. (laughs) Nadine Mark is a partner and director of the corporate advisory team at RSM, which is a national Australian accountancy practice. She's also the mother of two primary age children. And in addition to her work focusing on business valuations and forensic accounting services, she's a huge supporter of workplace change. She sits on the RSM National Diversity Task Force, holds the position of diversity and inclusion partner in the Perth office, and as part of that, oversaw the creation of Empower, which is a staff-led initiative, otherwise known as Equality Matters Perth, and it is there to support the evolution of a diverse and inclusive workplace at RSM Perth. Hi Nadine, welcome to The Juggle. Thanks Joe. thanks Lucy. 
So you are clearly a fabulous accountant given your success in your career so far, but it's your involvement in workplace change at RSM that we have gotten to know you because of. And we want to explore and talk a lot more about what RSM is doing today, if that's okay with you. Sure. Yep. Very happy to. Good. So a lot of accounting, law, other professional services firms are seen as pretty much dinosaurs when it comes to new work practices. But RSM is clearly putting a lot of focus into diversity and inclusion and trying to make change. So can you tell us a little bit about why that has happened? Sure. As you say, a lot of accounting and particularly accounting firms, I think, have been a male-dominated area. And that's certainly true for RSM. Our statistics in terms of having female partners is on the low side and much lower than we would like it to be. So about two years ago, 2016, diversity and inclusion was put on our top five strategic goals for our 2020 strategy. So it was very much a key focus of the business to both increase our our female talent pipeline and also increase our female leadership. Why did you see those things being important? What do you think RSM will get out of having greater diversity and gender inclusion? So I guess a lot of things. From a business perspective, I'm a very, very firm believer that you need diversity of of thought, particularly, and not so much um, and diversity of background, diversity of experience. So diversity across the whole spectrum. So whilst I think our initial focus was the gender lens, I think as this sort of process has gone through, we've realized that it's not just about that. It's actually about getting a mix of people, a mix of views and just different ideas through the business. And really part of that's from, you know, an innovation perspective, part of it's from a talent perspective. So are we creating opportunities for our staff within the business? Are we providing the services that we need to for our clients? And just are we growing as a firm? So not, not so much in a revenue perspective, but in the sense of what we do and what we offer to our clients. Are we continually growing and adapting? And I think to do that, you do need new thoughts and new ideas. And so that's why I think as we've gone through the journey, it's become more than just a diversity piece. It's become diversity and inclusion. And that's quite key to us now. So if you've been at this for a couple of years now, how are you measuring change or success or developments or improvements? I mean, these kinds of concepts are quite general in that you're saying we're not looking at necessarily for financial growth, but we're looking for bigger picture growth. How are you measuring that? I would think measurement is probably one of the areas that we need to still do some work on. Obviously, from a workforce perspective, we've got areas that we can measure. We've got, um, you know, the percentage of women in certain positions, the percentage of, of different ethnicities. So, you know, from a workforce perspective, we can do that. I guess the other areas for me, you know, my focus is whilst I sit on the National Diversity Task Force, I also hold the role in Perth of the DNI partner. So my focus really within the Perth office, and it is, you're right, it's nebulous, it's very hard to measure, but are we creating an environment or a workplace where people are sharing their ideas, things, you know, change is happening and new ideas are being acted on. So some of the areas that we're doing that in is kind of looking at cross-divisional teams, how we collaborate better. So those things are quite measurable in terms of the activity we're doing. And I probably look at that much more through a DNI lens than maybe some of the other partners and, and staff would. But to me, it all links in with that inclusive workplace. So, Absolutely. There's so much talk now about future of work, workplace change, 
you know, how the nature of work is changing into the future and what people want. And then you combine that all with the fact that professional services firms have been operating in such a traditional way for such a long time Mm. with billable units and the, the types of service that they offer and clients are clearly wanting change and you can see that with the the different organizations that are popping up and offering things in different ways so i agree unless you kind of make some kind of change to the way that you operate you're not going to live much longer as an organization so then it's a question of deciding what are the changes that are going to make a, a difference yeah. And we have, you know, RSM has been going for over 95 years. And when you look back at the history, there's a lot of change and innovation that happened. You know, they started off very much as a farmer's accountant. And we were one of the first firms, I think, to sort of send our staff out to all the different farms. And, you know, and it was really quite innovative thinking at the time. So it's just continuing that journey. Are we still being innovative? Are we making sure that we are continually developing? Yeah. And a key piece for a lot of people, a lot of the women that that we deal with and a lot of the organisations that we talk to, a key piece in people being able to prepare for this future of work is looking at flexible working and everything that that entails. And we were um, lucky enough, Lucy and I, to do some workshopping with RSM recently with, with you and your partners and senior managers around the challenges of flexible work. Do you feel open to sharing some of the challenges that were identified in that workshop? Yes, of course. I'm hoping they won't be too much different from yeah. a lot of other people's. But... <laughs> Might be a good way to find out. We know what yeah. they are because we tell you that they're not. <laughs> they're pretty standard. So go ahead. Tell us what your key challenges are. Yeah, I think... And certainly going through the workshop was such a useful process, I think. Number one, to flush all those concerns out, but also it did allow us to kind of categorise them a little bit. So and sometimes what what is the initial, I guess, obstacle is not always what the underlying obstacle is. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what really became clear to me during that process. So often we talk about client expectations. So as a professional services firm, we are there to serve our clients. If we're working flexibly, is our service level to our clients going to um, deteriorate or will it improve? Are we going to be available when they need us? And sometimes when that's sort of raised as an issue, and, you know, and we had this example, you know, in the workshop where it may not always be the client's expectation. It may be our expectation of what the client expects. Yes. And if we had that honest conversation with them, they might actually be, well, no, actually, that's OK if you get back to me tomorrow or that's OK if we need to move the time frame. And so then it became more of a conversation about how do we operate internally and is it our expectations or is it the client expectation? So that was some interesting sort of conversations that came out of that within their sort of internal focus. And one of the areas for us, obviously, we bring a lot of young staff and a lot of grads. You know, we have quite a large proportion. I think 60-70% of our workforce are millennials. Yes. So we have a lot of young staff who rely on us to give them on-the-job coaching, on-the-job mentoring, developing. And that was another, I guess, um, fear was that if people were working flexibly, we weren't all together in a team, how would we then provide that training and development to that younger staff? Are they going to miss out? Are we going to miss out because they're not developing at the you know, the sort of rate we would like them to. So that was one of the areas as well that was talked about. And then I think there's always the issue of trust. Yes. <laughs> if I can't see you, you're not working. So that's always, I guess, a bias that needs to be overcome as well. 
So what are some of the things that you have or will put in place to help you to try to overcome some of these challenges or what? where to next, I suppose? So the next phase for us, I think, is we're going to, I guess, dive deeper down into the individual teams within the office. So we're going to look at what sort of business rules. So what do we think we need within that team to both provide the flexibility that our staff are looking for, but also to maintain our service to our clients and that on the job mentoring of our staff and the development of our staff. So we're going to look at that on a team by team basis, because obviously it is very unique to each area. We all have different focuses. We all have different client bases. So making sure it's very tailored to what's required. So that's one area that we're going to be looking at early in the next year. And, you know, very simple things like how can you use technology? We've got so many tools available to us. How do we use that to overcome some of those challenges? So something really simple that, you know, we do, we have Skype for business. So if you're working from home, you have your Skype for business on, you have it set to I'm working from home, but people know that you're still there, you're still available, you're still interacting. If there's questions between the team, they can send you, you know, an instant message and you respond. So it's just making sure we're using everything that's available to us and that those are the expectations on both sides of how it could work. And I think the question around how flexible working can work is different for a large organization like yours than it is to a small one where people see each other or perhaps they're just one team that works together. And I think what's really interesting from your experience is that you have had different teams try out different ways of working flexibly. And so you're able to talk to each other and learn from each other and see what everybody else is doing and how other teams can then implement those kinds of things too. Yeah, exactly. And and certainly that sort of business rules framework or the guidelines framework has come from the experience of one of our teams who they have a rule that 40% of their workforce needs to be in the office on any one day. And then it's up to the team to work out which part-time days they work, you know, if there's flexibility to swap days, then it needs to be arranged between them so that there is still that capacity within the office on any given day. I think it's fantastic that you're looking at it on a team basis because there's so much media that gets reported around, you know, the best organisations for women, for example. Like you can look at the the Workplace Gender Equality Agency and the reporting that's done there. Mm. And there was a lot of media interest when the last reports came out a number of months back in the legal space because what had happened was that some of these big national law firms were being accredited effectively or you know what what do they call it when they're given a a tick basically by the WGEA and a lot of women were coming out saying I work there and there's no way that they're supportive of women and you know what that was clearly showing is that there's pockets in in organizations that are not actually doing what appears to be the case in writing in terms of policies and procedures. Yeah it's the difference between the policy and then what actually happens in practice. Yeah. And like you say, that the larger the organisation is, the harder it is to get that consistency mm. um, across the board. Yeah, that's definitely a challenge for us. Yeah. Which is why it's so important that you're bringing your people from your different teams together to be able to share those experiences so that they can see what's going on in other in other teams. What are some of the other success stories you had? You mentioned the, the team where the team are effectively self-managing their time. What are some other success stories with, around flexible working? 
I think on an individual basis, we've got some great examples of people working very flexibly. So we do have an individual who's caring for her elderly mum and she works basically from sort of four o'clock in the afternoon until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night because then she can spend the day with her mum. So there's lots of individual cases. I think that example I gave of the team and, and, you know, and that was very much trial and error for them to get to that point, you know, oh, this is what we'll do and it will work perfectly. (laughs) It went back and forth. So, you know, other areas where I guess there's always been this inbuilt, oh, well, that can't be part-time or that can't be, you know, we can't do that. Busy season in audit is a good example. So we have had people who have worked part-time in audit and have adapted their days according to the, the audit seasons, as it were. So that's been areas that we've been able to try new things and make them work. We're starting to do more of a sort of air tasker approach to some of those areas as well, um, which does then a you know, enable a bit more flexibility in working. But it's all, as you say, little pockets at the moment. So it's very much sharing, you know, trying things, refining them. And then hopefully from there, we can really start to make some quicker progress. But there is no one size fits all. I mean, flexible working is supposed to be different for everyone and is supposed to be flexible. So having different pockets of people or teams doing different things is what it's all about, isn't it? It is, yeah. <laughs> if everyone's doing the same thing, then it's not really flexible working anymore. It's just some different working arrangement. That's very true, yeah. So what do you love about all this stuff, Nadine? Because, you know, to take on all this extra responsibility, being the DNI partner and getting involved in all these programs, it's a lot of time and effort. Uh, you know, we, we all know that. And between managing your own general day-to-day work and your family and your friends, et cetera, et cetera, it adds a big piece to your puzzle. So what is it for you that gets you excited and, and involved? For me, it's about the people. I think it was, it was very interesting actually because I always thought for me, because I was a very ambitious female, I've always been a very ambitious female. And so I thought for me, it was very much around that. And, that. and that was why I did it because I wanted other women to have the same opportunities or to be able to go on the same path that I did. But it's interesting, as you get more and more into this, I realised that it's not just about that. For me, it's about making sure that the staff that we employ are given the opportunities and given the support and male, female, you know, regardless, but also that they want to do their best here. That's really ultimately for me is, you know, I want all of our staff and all of everyone who works here to be wanting to do their best Mm. right from the very start the whole dni thing for me started off very one focused and it's become a real mesh of our talent um, strategies it's become about our innovation strategies everything i see a link with everything now yeah (laughs) which i didn't to start with It, it was a very discreet little area to start with and now i see how it works it works with our business development and you know our strategies there it works in so many different areas and it works with our growth strategy. So yeah, for me, it's the people and supporting them and making sure that, like I say, they're bringing their best selves to work. It's awesome. And you have, as we've just sort of said, your own family and a couple of kids of your own. So what does flexible working look like for you? So flexible working. <laughs> yeah. You work is... all the time? <laughs> yep. It's very flexible when I work. Yeah. <laughs> And as Lucy said just now, you know, there is no one size fits all. So flexible Mm -hmm. working has had about 12 different incarnations for me along my career and my family life. So when I had my first child, who's now seven years old, my husband was doing FIFO. 
Yeah. We have no family in WA, or at the time we had no family. We now have one brother here, but no grandparent. I was still very committed to, to work. So that was a lot of juggling at the time. Mm-hmm. Then had my second child about well, 18 months later, basically. Husband's still doing FIFO. So I took a bit longer off that time and thought, no, maybe I need to get things a little bit more sorted at home before I jump back into work. So what does a little bit longer look like? 12 months okay. for my second maternity, six months for my first maternity leave. Yes. yes. So yes, yeah, so I took longer that time and made sure that, you know, I had as much routine as possible at home and that involved a mix of daycare using a nanny you know it was sort of every every option I could. How did you feel about that Nadine if you've said you've just described yourself as being a very ambitious female so your choice to take 12 months off the second time around was that because that's what you wanted to do at that time or is that because that's what you felt like you had to do for the family or maybe is it a combination of reasons? I think it was a a combination. I think I knew that, well, I knew we were only having, I only wanted two children. Mm -hmm. So I knew that was my last Last chunk of time. Yeah. Yeah, At home. So I was very conscious of that. It was harder with two. Sorry, Lucy. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it was definitely harder with two. I was conscious of when I went back to work that time that I really wanted to push And so I wanted to make sure that I was in as best a place with the family, but also mentally and that I was ready for that, really. And that's very much, you know, I give that advice a lot to women, you know, going on maternity leave is, you know, don't overpromise. Overpromise yourself or your work? Both. You're better off giving yourself that time to make sure you're fully ready so that when you do come back, everyone knows you're back. (laughs) That was very much my approach. And I said the same to my boss. I said, when I'm back, you'll know I'm back. Mm -hmm. So that was, yeah. So I I consciously took took that time. And since then, I'm very lucky that my husband stopped doing FIFO. And so he is now home. Yeah. And that's been massive for me. I'm now able to work full time. And he just does yeah, an amazing job, basically being the, the primary carer at home, but also the chef and yeah. <laughs> everything else. So, yes, I'm very lucky now, but it, it took, you know, sort of five years of juggling to get mm. there. Does your husband also work? He works a couple of days, just part time work. So within school hours. So, yes, essentially he is around for the kids 24-7. You've had that kind of traditional role model reversal, which mm. I also have in my Mm. family setup it's still not very common in fact it's definitely not normal so how have you as a couple and a family dealt with that change have you has it felt like a challenge has it been easy no it was definitely a challenge particularly I guess for him coming from a mining very male you know earning very good salary to being sort of home and and contributing in that way so yeah it was definitely the first 12 months were really finding our feet in those roles and yeah I don't think it's it's not common and therefore it makes it hard it yeah he's lucky that he's he, you know we're well, not lucky but we do have a great support um, group at the school and you know there are a lot of dads who are very very actively involved mm-hmm. in that group which is amazing and it's so nice to see that happening yeah. as time goes on you do see a lot more guys doing the pickups and drop-offs so yeah, it's not your common. So I always tell this story because when my kids were very young and my daughter had a doll's house and they had a mum and a dad and the baby and, and the little car and they put the mummy in the car and they drove <laughs> off and they went, 
bye darling I'm off to work <laughs> and they drove off with the mummy and left the daddy at home with the baby and I just thought yes we're reversing yeah. so many years here of <laughs> stereotyping but it was just so funny that that is how they interpreted normal life <laughs> for them that was normal yeah. mum drove off to work in the morning and, and dad was with them I see that a little bit with Lily she's two and a half and on the days when I go to work she says mummy's going to work today mummy works on the computer in the city and she gets really excited about it and daddy goes to work in his van and does some painting and yeah it's nice that they understand even on a basic level you know that we're going away to work even if she doesn't know what we do it's you know she's too young for that but it is nice that they see mum and dad having lots of different roles not just seeing them as one thing. And what about you Nadine how have you coped because yes it's hard for the man becoming the primary carer in a society where that's not considered to be the norm but it's also really hard for us as women I think and I often have my own challenges around oh I should be at home with my kids or oh I'm saying goodbye today oh I'm not at the school event or whatever how do you cope with that sort of stuff? Yeah, there's definitely a bit of that. I think, you know, and one of the things that I do work flexibly here, although I'm full time, um, you know, if the kids are in a school assembly, I will go to that school assembly and I will fit my work around that, whether it's getting up at five in the morning and working for a few hours before or working in the evenings. So I do have some non-negotiables where, yeah, if there's something important in their lives, then I will do everything I can to be there. There's an element of, I guess, mummy guilt, but I think because my husband is such an active involved parent that is a lot easier on me I think you know to me the value is having a parent Mm -hmm. so if if one of us is so involved in their lives then it makes it easier for me definitely to know that yeah and how do you deal with putting in place some boundaries because obviously if you're working full-time and you've got these needs to be where kids want you to be sometimes Mm you can easily slip into feeling like you're working all the time and I'm projecting my own situation. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking, hang on, who are we talking about here, Joe? <laughs> yeah, oh, boundaries. Yeah, I'm probably, like, I'm very much when I, so I still, unless I've got a function on in the evening, I'm home for dinner every night with the kids. The phone doesn't come out of my handbag until the kids are in bed. So I have little boundaries like that, you know, and it's, you know, I guess when I'm home with them, that is, for them you know it's only an hour and a half before they go to bed so I don't need to be distracted during that time so little things like that I do I'm probably not as good as it once they've gone to bed so I'll often you know my husband will be there watching cooking shows because that's his passion and I'll be there on my laptop or on my phone which doesn't you know that annoys him (laughs) we could be like reflecting each other's household (laughs) we're talking about our husbands are always asleep on the sofa yeah yeah you're saying that they're little things but I think it is the little things that make the big difference because you can be there physically but if you've got your phone or you're always on your phone or you're always on your laptop then that you know you're not actually with them whereas if you leave it in your bag like you say then those little things actually add up and make the difference I hope so (laughs) so we'll tell ourselves anyway right? yeah (laughs) and hey they will tell us if it didn't (laughs) exactly yeah one day So given all of this, do you have a mantra? What words do you live by? So mine, and again, this has changed as as I've, I guess, got older, but certainly for the last few years, mine have been um, be brave and be you. This comes back to, I've had lots of people give me advice, you know, 
don't stick your head above the parapet <laughs> so if I were you I'd just da, 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 you know I wouldn't get involved in that because da, 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 da. but then I wouldn't be me I wouldn't be me if I wasn't doing that and you know like as you said you know it is more work taking on a role like this it is more work trying to affect change but it just wouldn't be me if I didn't do that so yeah it's about being you but also being brave enough to put the real you out there as well that's fantastic so if you were going to give a piece of advice to other employers out there who are trying to make some change and increase diversity or help women manage the juggle, whatever way it is that they're approaching this kind of situation, what would your piece of advice be? I think the main thing is to be able or, or to encourage and to facilitate very open and honest conversations. Um, so whether that is with your staff whether that's with the leadership group, which is really the sort of approach that we took here in Perth with RSM was we knew that we needed to sit down as a leadership group and have some conversations and some open discussion. That was the purpose of the workshop, but also then to be able to do that with the staff. And it's not about giving people everything they want, but it's about having those open conversations, making sure that we're both aware of expectations on both sides and then thinking how that can be done. So yeah, don't be afraid of honesty. <laughs> I think everybody needs to remember that. Yeah. Mm. Honesty is the best policy. That's what they say, isn't it? They say that, but I don't actually believe that. Not in all <laughs> situations. Not in all situations. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, thank you so much, Nadine, for joining us and for being so open and honest about what you're dealing with at RSM, which I assure you is not unique, not not that you're not special, you're very special, but you know, the challenges that everybody faces, but not necessarily challenges that people want to talk about because then they think, oh, people will think, you know, we're not doing things right or we could be doing things differently. I mean, we could all be doing things differently. So I think it's really important to have the open and honest conversation. If you want to connect with Nadine, then you can find her on LinkedIn or you can also find her on the RSM website, which is rsm.global. Obviously, you need to search in Australia and we will have all of these links in our show notes as well. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you very much. See you soon. Thanks, Nadine. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Lucy. Before we go, this is your last chance to buy tickets for our 50th episode party, which is happening next week on the 24th of Jan. RSM are very kindly sponsoring that event and are hosting it in their beautiful boardroom in Perth. So to buy your tickets, go to thejuggle.com.au forward slash 50, which is five zero. We look forward to seeing you there. And if you otherwise want to connect with us, then come and join us in our Facebook group. It's the Juggle Community at Facebook. Just search for us under groups. And of course, you can find all the links to everything, including purchasing tickets to our event in the show notes attached to this episode. See you next time. Happy juggling. Happy juggling.